back to the Hunter Valley and preach for us this morning. So let's give him a great welcome as he comes to share the word this morning. Thanks, Mark. Well, thank you. Why don't you grab your seats? Thanks, worship team. Give them a good hand this morning. These guys are coming here early to serve you. And so they, they um, need to be encouraged just as much as your senior pastors do. They're great leaders. They're um, leaders of the ACC movement in this region, and we appreciate them. And for us as a church, we submit to their leadership in their, this region, and we're very, very honoured to call, our, call them our leaders in terms of our movement. I hear great things about your church, and as Lottie's already said, um, I spent a year at Woodbury Public Primary School. It was a fantastic year for me because um, that year I won the Junior Boys Athletic Championship Cup. Um, and it still sits on my bookcase. It's the only trophy I own. Um, and I'm really proud of it. Unfortunately, one of the handles has broken off and it's a bit tarnished. And at different times, Darlene has tried to throw it in the bin. And I said, don't you dare. That's um, quite a, uh, a uh, well-deserved um, trophy for me. Um, my parents, my dad was in the Air Force. And so we ended up um, down this way for a year. Unfortunately, my younger brother became quite ill during that year and quite, um, quite um, seriously ill. So we had to move back to Queensland after one year of being here. Um, so, yes, I am a Queensland supporter. Um, just want to put that on the record right up front. I know I'm on dangerous territory there, but I've suffered many years of persecution, um, of losing, but not in the last decade. Um, not that we'll go there at all. Um, Darlene sends her greetings. She's worship leading this morning in our Gosford campus. And um, as Lottie said, um, we're very you know, honoured, really, to... Um, that God's used us in so many different ways um, on the Central Coast and now also into the Newcastle area as well on the south side there. Um, Globe Church this year decided to uh, merge into us. We actually asked them not to for many, many years. We said, let's just be good friends. And, um, and so then this year, uh, first week of February, that became Hope You See Newcastle for us. We've got a great friend of ours in India, uh, Lottie's met him, Pastor Scott Norling. Ten years ago, when we moved to the Central Coast, he also started a church in Hyderabad. Anyone been to Hyderabad? Um, it's a big... Uh, so yeah, there's a, you got some friends back here, Lottie. Um, great tech city that's emerging there. And so he decided to start a church there to English-speaking Indians, um, particularly those in the IT industry, and that church has just gone crazy. So now since then, um, they've started another campus across the other side of the city in Secunderabad, and then this year we're raising money to start two more campuses in that city in the high-tech part. So on any given Sunday now, there's something like close to just over 3,000 Indians in that um, church. Um, Middle-class, English-speaking Indians really impacting that city. Typically, that city is a Muslim city, if you didn't understand. So um, it's a great thing. And so we've got plans to start a church then in Calcutta, New Delhi, and we're seeing what we can do to impact that country. And then in the last few years, um, a friend of ours in Los Angeles, 
Um, Pastor Robert Spina also has merged into Hope UC and is building a fantastic church there in Pasadena, out in the suburbs, close to the mountains, and then more recently in Santa Fe as well, and then again in Palm Springs, and um, God just seems to be doing stuff. Uh, we And uh, apparently someone told me just last week that we someone started a church in Fiji called Hope You See Fiji. We, di- we didn't even know about it. Um, it's amazing. And they've got, they're bringing a dozen people to our conference in July. So that'll be, we might have to have a conversation about that and <laughs> see how that works. Um, what I want to speak to us about this morning is really about, about a whole chapter. And Lottie beautifully sort of set it up this morning coming from Acts chapter 16 and many of you would know about this particular account and story. Um, Paul and Silas in the jail and that's what we would always reflect back to in this particular chapter about how the earthquake came and they were released from prison and the prison warden at the time was about to kill himself but then Paul stepped in and said hey don't do that and he got saved and his household got saved and it's a miraculous story Um, But that's not what I actually want to talk about. I want to talk about different aspects in this chapter that actually probably maybe you've read but didn't understand the significance of them. And, um, And I just think this is a pretty powerful chapter in the book of Acts. I suppose the start of this message, it's a question. It's a question that I love to ask and the question I want to ask you this morning, have you ever felt seriously called by God to do something. Maybe it's a particular mission or it's an adventure or a, or a task or just something that you go, yeah, God is really speaking to me, but it never ended up how you thought. Have you ever had that experience? You can wave at me. You can talk back. Yeah, there's, there's a few of us here. So no one else has been called from God, heard from God, or spoken to God from God, um, and, and you've started a task that you believe that it was exactly what he asked you to do, but actually the journey or the adventure didn't end up as you planned. Well, this is really the account of Acts chapter 16. If you read these first few verses, um, here it talks about how Paul and Silas were getting ready to go on their second missionary journey. They're about to take on this adventure about saying, we're going to take the gospel further than it's ever been before. In terms of Paul's missionary adventures, he went to the absolute extremities of where he had ever been before. He was right on the fringe. He, he was way outside of his comfort zone, outside of the cities that he knew, and he was just going to places he didn't know. And further on in this chapter, you'll understand how all that goes. The Bible scholars say that on this particular journey, even though it talks about Paul and Silas, the author of the book of Acts was with them, Luke, on this particular adventure. And you'll see that the tone and the context of this chapter is that he's talking about we. And this is the writer, the writer of the book of Luke and also the writer of the book of Acts is is Luke. And so on this particular thing, Paul comes up with this brilliant idea for Timothy that before they go on a missions trip, that Timothy should be circumcised. I don't know about whether the trip to Vanuatu, where you, whether you went through that <laughs> procedure with the team or who was leading that team. 
Um, but we have a team going to Sri Lanka in another month or so to do a missions trip. So I spoke to the guy leading that team and said, if you really are a true biblical uh, follower of Jesus Christ, then you should actually be going through this particular process. Um, at which time he said, I live under grace, not law. After this particular incident, you'll hear there in the next bunch of verses there from verse 6 to 10 that Paul, Silas and Luke end up quite perplexed. They think about this particular mission trip, they think about the journey and yet they end up taking some steps but they felt like the Holy Spirit didn't allow them to preach the gospel. And I mean, what an amazing thing for the Apostle Paul, this guy had this radical transformation. You get the sense that when you read the New Testament that he was just preaching and going for it wherever he went. But in this particular situation, he said, we felt like some translations say, the Holy Spirit forbade us. So they thought about going in this particular direction and, it, and they didn't feel like there was God in that particular journey. So then they recouped and they thought about going in another particular direction. And again, the three of them decided that that wasn't what God wanted them to do. At that particular point, I can imagine Timothy saying to the Apostle Paul, Hey Paul, um, I'm, I'm really committed to this missionary journey. Uh, I, um, and yet... You, you feel like God spoke to you about not going there. We feel like we shouldn't have gone there. I mean, I'm, I'm seriously committed. I don't know whether you understand. I've got skin in the game in this particular mission trip. Some of you got that joke. Um, I'm trying to, you know, make it real for you what that was like. The Apostle Paul then gets a vision. Unbelievable clarity about what he should do. He gets this vision about a guy from Macedonia saying to him in this picture, come here. I mean, it can't be more blunt, really. It's about actually come on this particular step, come on this journey. He says, come over, the actual words are, come over to Macedonia and help us. I mean, that's a pretty clear call from God. At which particular point they leave immediately, they have to go on a long journey, they have to catch one boat to an island. I had to look all this up on the map. I've done all the hard work for you. You just have got to listen to my story. Is that he, he, he then does this journey, he went on the one boat, went to an island, then straight away got on another boat, went to another place, and then actually ended up in one city. But then after all of that, he ended up at this particular city called Philippi. At this city, I don't know whether you understand, this was a, a sort of a, a, it was the entryway into Europe through Greece, Philippi is in Greece as we understand it, and then in, in today's terms, and on the, on the gate of that city was a sign that says, no unauthorized religions allowed in this city. That was right at the front gate to Philippi. So he would have read that. And then you'll read a little bit further, and we'll pull these verses up in a second, is that in that moment that, that there was a no Jewish synagogue in this city. We know that because Paul had to go down to the river to meet this particular woman. And that, you know, in the context of what that means, I don't know whether you realize, but to, for in a Jewish synagogue to kick out of the city, all they needed was 10 Jewish men which meant that in Philippi there was not 10 Jewish men. Paul's MO, or the way that he did 
um, preaching about the good news of Jesus Christ, preaching about the gospel of grace, is that he always went to the synagogue to preach and debate theology and to actually convince the Jews about Jesus Christ. That was his normal practice every day. That's what he would do, go to the synagogue, pray. If you read in all the other books of the New Testament, that's exactly the way he operated. But in this city, he did not have that opportunity. He had to go out of the town to the riverbank to find out where there might be people that are praying. At which particular point he met a lady. Let's read some of these verses together now that I've done that set up for you. Verse 13, he says, On the Sabbath he went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where he thought people would be meeting for prayer. We, and, he, and we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyathra. Thyathra was actually, as we would understand it in today's term, Turkey. There was a Turk woman living in Greece in the city of Philippi, down on the river praying. A merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God as she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptized along with other members of her household and she asked us to be her guests. She said, if you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. Talk about emotional manipulation right there. And she urged us until we agreed. So there was a conversation or there was a reluctance from Paul, Silas and Luke to actually go to her house. But she was so powerful in her um, conversation that they had to say, yes, we'll come and stay. This woman, Lydia, was, the Bible talks about, a merchant of expensive purple cloth. Expensive purple cloth represented something that was quite... Um, a material that was quite known to only wealthy or affluent people that would wear. Purple dye, making purple cloth, you needed purple dye. Purple um, dye was a very difficult, expensive dye to manufacture. You actually had to go, I watched a documentary about this about a year or so ago. You had to collect these particular seashells that had a snail inside them. You had to extract the snail. The snail. You had to then um, do a little autopsy on that snail and take out a particular gland of the snail. You then had to beat all of that up with a few other herbs and then ferment that particular potion which became quite smelly and very difficult to actually produce. Um, it was expensive. And so you'll note that today in terms of royalty. And if you watched the royal wedding a few weeks ago, um, purple represented all of those particular symbols. Um, all the Romans, all the Greeks, or all the Turks that wanted to actually be seen to be um, uh, affluent always wore purple. Let me put it to you in today's context in 2018. Lydia, this woman, this Turk woman, would have owned the Maserati, Rolls-Royce, BMW, Mercedes-Benz car dealership right here in Maitland. She would have driven one of those cars. She didn't drive a second-hand 1975 Golf. <laughs> Lydia was a very wealthy, 
affluent person. The Bible scholars say that actually to run her business, she would have brought something like about 12 people that worked directly for her to actually manage this business. So not only was she a woman of wealth and influence, but she employed lots of people. And that in that city, she would have been well known. People would have sought her out. She herself would have definitely worn purple. Purple clothes, purple scarves, all sorts of things. She would have modelled the products that she was selling. It's funny, you know, in the church life, and you know, I've been around a little while now, is that our, our hearts, our culture, our mindsets always rightly so, defer to the poor. Jesus in Luke chapter 4 quotes the prophet Isaiah in 61, says, I've come to help the brokenhearted, help the prisoners set free. I've, I've come to really lift people up, those that are really dysfunctional in life. And I, I've dedicated big chunks of my life to that and continue to do. But the strange thing also about our Christian faith is that for some reason we somehow discount or have a reluctance to actually minister with the same strength and energy to people who would wear purple cloth. That for some reason we go, well, they don't need the gospel, they don't need attention, they don't need our help, yet they often are broken, hurting, needing the gospel and the good news just as much as these people over here. And look, I, I, I think the church, we've done a pretty good job actually of helping these people. But for some reason, we just seem to shy away. Maybe it's our own inferiority. Maybe it's our own reluctance to actually f feel like that we could measure up to ministering to or helping these people but I can tell you as much as people over here are, are divorced and bankrupt financially and emotionally people on this side as well end up with divorce and bankruptcies and emotional um, cot cases they need the good news the grace of Jesus Christ fortunately the apostle Paul ministered to Lydia Imagine if he said, oh no, rich people don't need the gospel. Rich people, we just leave them alone. We're, we're all tuned in to those that are poor and broken. I just believe that we should, who gets to decide that these souls have more value than these souls? Every opportunity you have in your business in your marketplace expression in your university or school or in the church for you I confess decades ago if I would have seen somebody drive into our church car park driving a fancy car Rolls Royce or a Maserati there would have been an aspect in me that said that's rude they should sell that thing and give the money to the poor. But see, that's a judgment call that I'm making from my position. I don't know what's really going on in their life. I remember once telling us, telling a, uh, we had an incident where, you know, Darlene and I were traveling all sorts of places all around the world so often. 
And um, for this particular trip, we, we, had the, we got an opportunity to fly in business class. And we'd just been doing a big mission trip all through Africa and ministering crusades and thousands of people getting saved. And I remember on this particular flight, an air hostess coming and giving me a note saying, oh, this is from a passenger um, down the back for, for you and Darlene. At which point they, they um, said, oh, we love you guys and think you're fantastic and these sorts of things. But, but how dare you sit in business class and spend all that money when you could have given that money to the poor? Be, be careful. Be careful what you build your worldview around. You know, be careful. Don't ever be afraid of wealth and affluence and influence and success. I believe that the church needs more Lydia's. See, Lydia was the very first Christian in Europe. Now, I'm looking across the auditorium here. I can see many people who have come from European descent. Because of Lydia, Europe got the gospel. Because Lydia opened her heart to hearing what the, what the Apostle Paul had to say, she got saved. Because of Lydia's heart being opened, she then opened her house for Paul and Silas and Luke to be guests of. And because of her opening that house, she that ended up becoming the church. There's a whole book written in the New Testament about Lydia's church called... It's not a trick question. Um, it's called Philippians, which is the city of Philippi, which is where Lydia actually was the very first convert. Her home was the very first life group. Her home was the place where the church started because of this wealthy, influential, successful woman. Lydia was amazing. But it took her to open a heart. I mean, the Apostle Paul, just think about this. He was a Jewish scholar. His background, his heritage would have been taught these exact words from his teachers. He would have said, we would rather burn the Old Testament than allow a woman to speak the words of God. This was his training. He saw women, or he was trained to, let me say, because I believe he saw women correctly, but he was taught to see women as second-class citizens that weren't entitled to preach, teach, lead, all those sorts of things. But because of the gospel of grace, because of what Jesus Christ has done, we shared communion together that women are on equal standing with us. All you women should be cheering me on right now. I'm, <laughs> I'm singing your praises here. You can start businesses. You could lead. You could preach. You can teach. You've got a place in the church. And that's just not to make cups of tea and vacuum the floor and look after the kids program. I'm talking about businesses. I'm talking about influence. I'm talking about success. I'm talking about leading people, 
Lydia was an awesome woman. This chapter, fundamentally, is about two types of money. Further on, we learn that as Paul was going down to the riverbank to pray every day, that there was a demon-possessed woman who was harassing him. After several days of this, it really got under Paul's skin. He got irritated by it. And so he turns to this woman and says, hey, demon, remove yourself from this lady, at which point the owners of this slave woman got mad and that's why they ended up in jail. They beat them with sticks. They did all sorts of crazy things to them. So here we have two stories of money. Lydia, who opened her heart to the gospel, opened her home to the gospel, opened her uh, relationships to the gospel and ended up starting a powerful church. Over here, we've got another bunch of women who were um, money people who were using a woman to make financial gain. They were oppressing this woman. They were using her, this slave girl, to actually make themselves wealthy. The, I love how this, the, um, the, the uh, NLT says that they earned a lot of money from her. The masters had hopes of wealth by using her, yet Lydia was using her wealth to open up the gospel. So we know then the story about what happens next. Paul, Silas, I'm not sure whether Luke went to jail or not. It doesn't make it clear to us. They end up in jail, beaten, by the way, bruised. They, an earthquake comes, they, the chains get set free. And all of a sudden, they come and figure out that things aren't going, they didn't, the plans for the city didn't go so well because they realized these guys were actually Roman citizens and they had done the wrong thing. So let's pick up these last few verses in the book of Acts chapter 16 from verse um, 38. It says that when the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Okay, so when I, when I leave a big gap like that, um, that's where you guys have got to really jump in just to make sure that you know who I'm talking about. So we'll, we'll just rewind that bit and we'll try it again. So Paul and Silas left the prison. They returned to the home of Lydia. Lydia. There they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. Paul, Silas and Luke, beaten and bruised, embarrassed, get set out of prison Where's the first place they want to go? Lydia's house. Lydia had the capacity. Lydia had the hospitality. Lydia had the, the margin in her life to cope with three men, and who else knows that were traveling with them, live in their house. When Darlie and I first got married, we lived in a little apartment. We had capacity for nothing. We had the capacity possibly to have a meal that night. I remember when we first moved to Sydney, we, we rented a flat. We, I put inverted commas there because let me explain to you, it was a house that we got to live in one bedroom, a kitchen and a bathroom. I had to mow the lawn of the whole house 
and we also had to, um, this is probably the more uncomfortable part, we had to share the bathroom with the patients for the doctor's surgery that was in the front of us. So it wasn't uncommon for us in some mornings if they were starting early that we would come out um, all showered up ready to get dressed for work and we'd be bumping into a line of people from the surgery that would be wanting to use the facilities at the doctor's surgery. We, we didn't have margin. I couldn't have invited three people over. If we invited people over, you had to sleep on the mattress in the lounge room, but which was also the kitchen, um, which was also the TV room, um, because there was basically off that little one room, there was our bedroom and that was it. But see, I, I appreciate Lydia because she's built margin capacity and finance into her life where she could help other people. Because of Lydia, where well, I believe when the Apostle Paul and Silas were at their lowest point, they could go back to her house and refresh, stabilize, and then go forward. Because I would imagine if I was the Apostle Paul, if I'd been beaten and bruised and I was at the very extremities of the known world that I had known about, I would probably, my first default position would have been to go home. And yet, at that particular point, if you read into the Gospels, he went further and further into Greece preaching the Gospel. So two salvations in this particular city of Philippi was Lydia and the jailer. Probably not so um, similar on the socioeconomic um, scale of that town. But again, when after they come out of jail, you, hear, you read these words that the Apostle Paul went to encourage the believers. Lydia was not only a host, but she was an evangelist. She was getting people saved. So the first offer of stay was actually because she insisted to come and enjoy her blessing. The second um, offer to stay was this idea that they were going to get refreshed and recouped emotionally, physically, and we'll read about in a second financially. I, I, I'm hopefully encouraging you to build wealth into your life. That whatever the learnings that you might have had or maybe the ideas about finance that you might have carried that I'm trying to encourage you to live beyond yourself. I mean, you know, we've had the opportunity to start and run many different businesses but the biggest blessing that we ever have is when we can sow finance into other mission organisations, into our church, into different individuals and it's been such a beautiful blessing to us. Because I know where I've come from and I didn't have the capacity to do anything. I had the heart to do lots. I was speaking to our church just this week. I, I couldn't sleep one night actually and I was just thinking about, well, how, how can people be inventive about their finances? So I come up with lots of ideas for them, as, as every senior pastor does. And I just thought about it because the night before I'd left home early, like 5.30 in the morning, to take my daughter to the train station, so I, which I do most Wednesday mornings and I love it. We have this great conversation. And on the way back, um, I had to confess to Darlene that most Wednesday mornings I then actually drive through McDonald's to buy myself some breakfast. And I thought about that and I, and I enjoyed it and then I go off to work and away we go and nothing goes on. I just thought, that breakfast last week, which is a bacon and egg McMuffin, two hash browns, 
an orange juice costs exactly $10. And I thought, imagine if the sacrifice that I was willing to make was to say, you know what, I'm not going to Macca's today, but I'm just going to get up half an hour earlier and I'm going to make some toast with Vegemite, which I love, and big thick slabs of butter and, um, you know, that nutty sort of bread, big thick slabs of butter like cheese and then Vegemite on top of that. That's what I like for breakfast. Imagine if I was just willing to sacrifice half an hour, make that toast, make a cup of tea and a takeaway cup in my house and not drive through Macca's. Well, if I did that every week, that's over $500 for the year that I'd be able to somehow build capacity into my life. I was talking to a guy just this week in our Newcastle campus who's a retired fellow, a really great, bright, sparky guy, and I said, what did you do today? He says, oh, I was Uber driving. I was like, really? And, and he's, I said, is that, is that good fun? He says, I love it. He says, I get to meet people every day and I get to choose my hours. And, and I says, oh, how, how does that work? How does the numbers work? See, I'm a business guy. And he goes, well, actually, if you do about six hours driving a week, that's probably about $250. I was like, wow, that's pretty good. And, and I started to think about this for our church. And I started to think, well, if, if people were willing to give up MasterChef, and maybe a sleep-in on Saturday morning, that's $250 a week if they went out Uber driving. Then over a month, that's about $1,000. Then over a year, that would be actually over $10,000 that they would have capacity for to gift, to save, to re reduce debt or whatever they want to do with that just by a small sacrifice every week. See, some of you sitting here are probably thinking about Lydia and thinking about that idea, them driving the Maserati and the Rolls Royce, and you go, oh, that can't ever be me. And, and then all of a sudden, we start to actually excuse ourselves. And the goal isn't Maseratis, by the way. The goal is to do what Lydia did, which is to open a heart and a home for the gospel. But I just started to think about that and just think, well, Imagine if everyone in the kingdom started making those small sacrifices to actually think about what extra finance could I bring in and through my life. See, I'm just about to finish. If the worship team could come, that would be great. I just want to show you one other verse and then I'll close. And that's in the book of Philippians. We now know the story about how the apostle Paul, Silas and Luke came the very first salvation in this city was Lydia and her household. The second salvation was the jailer and his family. And then in the book of Philippians, which is the letter that he's writing, I don't know what the length of time is between that particular point and when he writes a letter to this church now, closing out this particular letter, this is what Paul says to Lydia and the church. Philippians chapter 4, verse 15. He says, as you know, you... Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Lydia had eyes bigger than her own needs. Lydia had eyes not just for her own church, but she actually sent Paul, put money in his pocket and said, please go further with this gospel. Even then, when I was in 
Thessalonica, I think that's right how you say it, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. He's not fishing for more donations. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At that moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Ephrodites. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God, our Father forever and ever. Amen. Lydia opened her heart, opened her house, was able to be a blessing to so many other people. Lydia actually put money in Paul's pocket and said, please go further. Even then, after he was out of sight, out of mind, she then sent on several other occasions more finance to the Apostle Paul, saying, please do more. At which time she then even organised a guy to actually take more resource to Paul and saying, I'm going to give this to the guy, the man of God, because I want him to preach preaching the gospel. Lydia is a hero. Lydia opened up so much for the gospel, yet so many times we default into this logic, which is my house, my car, my needs. See, this word hospitality, you don't have to be too clever to figure out it's very linked to the word hospital. I've been reading this historical narrative about the city of Jerusalem. It's called Jerusalem, the biography. It talks about in the year, I think it's the year 300, that the uh, missionaries come out of Europe and rather than build a church in Jerusalem, they actually built a hospital, a hospital that had 3,000 beds. Now, we might think that hospital is white sheets and doctors and nurses. It was nothing like that. It was actually a place of refuge, a place of healing where pilgrims that would come would actually get a sense of chance to be refreshed, inspired, healed. In your house, when you invite guests over, you pull out the best crockery, the best um, cutlery. You do your utmost to actually really show yourself hospitable you do your best I just think in terms of kingdom giving I, I just noticed on your screen I didn't know that it's got you've got it coming up this connect in can I suggest I'll be leaving in a few hours so um, you know you, you won't be able to throw stones at me but I'll say it while I'm here holding the microphone is that I'd encourage you to do your best to be hospitable in the way that you give. But not only that, to actually think creatively about what you could give, what you could not only give, not just of your tithes and offerings, and not just of your excess or, or savings. I'm not saying get into debt or do any of those crazy things. I'm talking about be inventive in your world. Think about what sacrifice that you could make for the kingdom's sake. Lydia made an incredible sacrifice. She changed her direction. She turned things upside down because of the gospel. What are we willing to do this morning? 
I think it's a great challenge for all of us. I believe that the Bible principle is not actually about equal giving, but it's actually about equal sacrifice. Whether you feel like you've got a lot or a little, I just believe that there should be something sacrificial about your giving. King David said, I'm not going to give anything to God unless it costs me something. And I'd encourage you to really pray into that for you. People ask me, well, what, you, what, what should I do? I am say, that's not up to me. That's up between you and the Holy Spirit. And I just believe at that particular point, when you give sacrificially, just like the Apostle Paul said, he says, it will be a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. I've smelt that sacrificial smell in our own life. We've got our own giving program coming up, and I, I've got this motorbike, and I felt like the Holy Spirit said, I want you to sell that and give that finance into the offering. And I was like, oh, okay, I could do that. Well, look, God, like, that's only going to bring in X amount of dollars. I could just give that. And he said, no, 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 that's not the point. I want you to go through the process of sacrifice. I thought, okay. So then I thought, well, what else could I sacrifice? I thought, well, we, we personally love our annual summer holiday and I thought well maybe this year we don't take it and maybe the finance that we would normally allocate to that will put that in the offering and I, I, I said that out loud in one of our meetings and Darlene yelled out she says I really miss you on your holiday <laughs> what sacrifice could you make why don't you stand with me I want to pray for you this morning I'm going to hand back to Pastor Lottie. Father, we thank you for these blessed people. We thank you for this community of faith in this city, this region. Lord, I pray that it'll just continue to go from blessing to blessing to blessing. Lord, let it be a church like a light on the hill where it just gathers people of all aspects of society. Those that are hurting and broken and need healing. And Lord, those that supposedly are from the top end of town. Let it be a place where all sorts of people can come, that all people are welcome. Lord, let our faith be put into action by this sweet-smelling aroma of sacrificial giving. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's thank Mark for bringing the word this morning. Very good. We're going to wrap up shortly, but I just want to spend one moment just speaking to you here this morning. If you maybe are like Lydia, see Lydia at that moment chose to open her heart to God, open her heart to the gospel. And we've heard this morning about how God used her life, but it, all of our lives is a moment. All of our lives is a decision where we have to choose. Will we open up our heart and our life to God? How will we respond to the good news of the gospel. And I just want us to close our eyes for a moment in this place. Just across this room, I'm not going to prolong this, but if you're here this morning and you just feel there's something in you right now, in your heart, maybe your heart's racing, you're just thinking, no, this is me. So I need to open up my heart. I need to open up my life to God. I want to say yes to Jesus this morning. I want to invite Him into my world so that I too can be a follower of Jesus Christ. 
And if that's you in this place, I'd like you to do something. I'd like you to raise your hand right now. Just lay it straight up and say, yeah, that's me this morning, Lottie. That's me. I want to invite Jesus in. I want to declare that I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And give you that opportunity across this room, if that is you. Just like Lydia did in their story today, you too open up your heart and let Jesus into your world and see the difference that He can make in your life. God, we thank You. You know, church, every Sunday I'll give you that opportunity. I'll give your friends that opportunity. But it doesn't need to be on a Sunday. It can be any time. The Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. So God, I pray for anyone here this morning that does not know You. Anyone that might be here and doesn't know what it is to be Your follower, to have invited You into their life. I pray that right now You would do a work in their heart. You would draw them into Your side, draw them into a relationship with You. And God, I pray that you would do a work in their heart today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you want to talk to someone, you want to talk to our pastoral team, come down the front after the service. We'd love to meet with you. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe you're not ready to make that decision, but you've got questions. Questions are good. It's by asking questions that we learn, isn't it? And we grow. So come on, we're open for that discussion. This morning, we're going to wrap up in a moment. Don't forget to pick your kids up from Kids Church. There's coffee in the foyer. There is Connect Lounge open if you are new or visiting. We are going to sing a, a song of praise as we leave this place. Let's thank Pastor Mark again for coming, sharing this morning. I think it's a significant word, the life of our church. You know, we, we are a church that believes in the power of miracles, in the power of prayer. And there's been some words of knowledge that have come this morning for prayer for healing. And so at the end of our service, like always, every Sunday, you can come down the front and our team will pray with you. But these are some specific words of knowledge for healing in your life. And they might be this, your left shin, both of your knees. Ali Martin, that's just got you all over it, doesn't it? Your right shoulder, maybe there's a liver problem, a lower back or what's this last one? The upper part of your spinal cord in your neck. If you've got a problem in those areas, there's been words of knowledge, which is basically just saying God wants to heal those areas in your life through His body. And so if you would like prayer for those things, after this last song, come down the front. The ministry team would love to pray with you and stand with you and believe for a miracle of healing in your body. So go out from this place, church. We're going to sing. We're going to declare His goodness. Have a great week. And um, we'll see you next time. Thanks for being here.